Welcome to the Get It Done Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Ryan. I help people get it done in the sense of achieving their dreams of home ownership. Getting it done can mean so many things. It can come in all shapes and sizes. This podcast is about that central theme, getting it done, whatever that may be. In the future, we're going to have guests talk about their own personal experiences in getting it done, how they overcame adversity to achieve their dreams. Once again, I'm Jimmy Ryan, and I'll be your host, and this is our story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get It Done podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Ryan, and today we welcome a truly impactful individual. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He's a speaker, consultant, and a coach to some of the best and brightest minds across the world. His name is Andy Andrews. Andy, welcome to the Get It Done podcast. Jimmy, how are you doing? Brother, man, I'm so good. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And, uh, you know, we, we were talking just a little bit before this, man. I'm just like, I'm, I'm beaming with energy to be, be talking with you right now. This is awesome. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, we're going to jump right into it. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to talk to you because, you know, you are considered a mentor to a lot of influential people really in my life. And, uh, you're, you know, you're someone that has operated at high levels of, it, of success for a long time. And, you know, I want to make you ask you this question. How do you make mortgages, the mortgage industry, fun and exciting? And how do you spread the excitement you have about it to others? You know, are you asking me, how do you do it? Or how are you saying that I made it exciting and asking how I did it or <laughs> you play a key role in the leaders of the, the upper echelons that make it exciting. Right. Look, I, I get the trickle down effect kind of of it. Uh, how do you lead the people really to make it fun and exciting for others? See, here, here's the thing. I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about the mortgage industry. Right. I mean, I have really learned what I've learned uh, from our leaders at Fairway, but I thought for a while and, and you know, I, but I, I coach some football coaches and I don't really know a lot about football either. I, I mean, I know what a fan knows. Right. But, uh, you know, the first time I sat down with Nick Saban, he, he said, so what is your experience? And I said, like football. And he said, yes. And I said, oh, I, I played in the sixth grade. <laughs> and he, he said, what? And I said, yeah, I was uh, number 25, Heard Elementary Rams, blue and white jerseys, sixth grade. Wow. And he just kind of stared. And I said, I'm just kind of messing with you, coach. I said, see, here's the thing. I don't really know a ton about football. I know what a fan knows. And, and so with the mortgage industry, I, I know what everybody else knows. I don't know what you know. And I used to think, it used to scare me. I thinking, man, I'm going to go in and talk to these people. And I don't really know. But after a while, I realized that that actually made me a little more useful in their lives. Because, mm. you know, with with uh, Coach Saban, I, you know, I looked at him one day and I said, dude, you are in the conversation for the best of all time. And so seriously, where do you go for a seminar? You know, what consultant could you possibly bring in that would tell you anything you don't know? I said, now me, I don't know anything about what you do. So I can have you thinking in ways that that nobody in your industry would think. And 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 what I do is to help people compete 
in ways the competition doesn't know a game is going on. And hmm. so it, that really works well with the mortgage industry because, and, and in fact, you guys are the first client that I ever went after. I mean, I talked to Jake first, okay, instead of, you know, them coming to me because I was in at a convention speaking and, and I'd come in the night before and had dinner with Jake and some of your leaders and some of his, you know, his best friend was there and, uh, you know, his sister, Sherry and nephew, Dylan, and I loved those people. So that is a, a huge thing for me because uh, I, I feel like if I like somebody, if I re- if they're genuinely likable people, if they're genuine people, you know, and they have great character, then we can do amazing things because, because I, I think that uh, doing the things that make you successful are fun and exciting. Right. I, I think, you know, making a difference in people's lives, serving other people, putting a smile on their face, those things are fun and exciting. And so, and, and honestly, that's how, you know, that's a basis for how we compete, right? Because, you know, the mortgage industry is, you know, most people across the board kind of think there's one, there's another, you know, but I know different because I know you guys and I know what you have become and how hard you work on yourselves. Right. And uh, so put it, put it differently, like, look, you're just looking for good people to coach and you're kind of an outsider and you're kind of looking at it from that outside, you know, opinion. And that's a great segue to uh, the professional noticer because you're noticing things uh, as an outsider. And uh, tell me about the professional noticer uh, podcast. You know, how did you start it? Uh, How did you approach it during the first year? And, you know, how do you approach it? You know, all these years later, I think you have what, like 300 episodes. How many episodes do you have? I, I don't even know. I know, I know, I know right? we have I know we have listeners in 117 countries. Uh, now, granted, it may be two listeners in each country. I don't know, but, <laughs> but they they told me listeners in 170 countries. But the the you know when when I started, I had done another podcast, and the other podcast was called In the Loop with Andy Andrews. All right. Now, here's what I finally decided. I I finally decided. Number one, in in the loop with what? I, I you know, I, I mean, I'm thinking if I'm just an ordinary person, you know, looking at this title, you know, in the loop with what? And who the heck is Andy Andrews? I, you know, if it was in the loop with Oprah Winfrey, well, okay, that'd be a good thing because who cares what you're in the loop with? It's Oprah, you know. But right. with me, it's like I, I don't, I don't know what loop it is, and I don't know who this guy is. And so I, I finally decided, you, you know. I, I need to do something that would pique somebody's curiosity about it. And so the professional noticer, uh, you know, I had already been kind of called that and I had written a book that was called the noticer and, and um, you know, good morning America made that one their book of the month. So people kind of were familiar with that, that uh, thing. But then with the subtitle, I think is what always sells something because it's, the title has got to be somewhat catchy. Um, you know, but the subtitle, Observations and Answers. Okay, mm-hmm. well, about what? Yeah, just kind of, you know, we're, we're covering the gamut, man. We're having a lot of different people. I, you know, I want to find, with a guest, I want to find the 
the, the value that that guest has for a teenager, for a mom, for a dad, for a professional, for somebody, uh, you know, who works with their hands. I want to find some value there. And, and so, you know, that's why I think it's a broad, you do the same thing, Jimmy. Well, I mean, sure. You, it, yeah. It's interesting because you're literally, you're explaining kind of like, I, I, I was trying to explain this to somebody that's kind of outside looking in and it's really, it's like, who is your audience? Well, it really depends on the guest and it really depends on, you know, their unique value. And, you know, we might get a different audience for one, you know, particular guest. We might get a completely different one for another age groups, um, walks of life, whatever it is. And it's really, how long, really have you, how long have you been, how long have you had this podcast run? Six months. Uh, we're actually releasing okay. a six month episode uh, tomorrow. And uh, like pretty much everyone has just been built up, built up, built up. It's just really taken okay. off. And I'm, Here's, here's what, here's what I want to tell you is that you say we pretty much have a different audience for everyone. Okay. That's about to change for mm -hmm. you. Okay. Uh, and, and the reason is, I, I mean, I, I say the same thing with me, uh, you know, nobody knows who the heck I am. And really, I mean, you know, there's some people do, there's some people know who you are, but nobody right. knows who we are. And so as people go to a show to watch a particular guest, they go, yeah, I like this guy. And, and you, you know, your, your interview with Jake, your interview with Kirby, your, your interview with, I mean, you, you are good at this. And, and to be good at this, I think the most attractive feature for a podcast, especially if there's some video with it is, is to be, you know, a guy that people go, yeah, I, you know, I'd like to have a sandwich with him sometime, you know, <laughs> I, because because if you look at the most, it, it, this is kind of an odd brand of show business in a way. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. Because we want to teach. But but if people don't stay and listen to us, we don't get to teach. And so we have right. to make it somewhat entertaining. And if you look at the history of entertainment, you know, the uh, the comedians who got the very, very biggest we're not remotely, I mean, well, the comedian who got bigger than anybody else, not remotely the funniest comedian. That's Johnny Carson. I mean, Carson got bigger than anybody ever in show business during his time. I mean, that was, mm -hmm. it was the king, right? right? And so, but the thing is, he wasn't that funny, but you would go, man, I would, I would just love to hang out with him. And it was people would turn on that show just to hang out and just kind of listen, be a part of that conversation. And um, he didn't have any problem acting like he didn't know what somebody was talking about. He didn't act, you know, have any problem acting like, gosh, I don't understand. I mean, he was us. Right. He's being genuine. He's being real. And I, I think that that's kind of what you're getting at. Just like more like, look, I could have a beer with this guy. I could have a sandwich with this guy. We could, Go on a walk and it'd be fun. Um, right. People may have people may have come to your show for other guests, mm -hmm. but you watch there. They are going to begin coming to this show for you and your guests, whoever that guest is, that'll be a bonus for them. I'm really humbled by those words. Thank you so much. That's uh, like, man, that makes me feel great. So that's awesome. But it's, it's true. Well, it, 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 to, to, to pivot from it, just so we could get off of it for a minute, um, you know, <laughs> you are a best-selling author, so you're pivoting kind of more into the podcast realm. How does it differ, you know, because you, you write a book and then it goes out and then you kind of see the result, but with podcasts, kind of, it's a little bit more instant. What is, you know, what, what have been the biggest differences that, you, that you've seen between books and podcasts? Um, podcasts are so much more fun. 
to do. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, I've got a, a friend, he, actually he's a friend with Jake and, uh, and, and Greg and Sarah and Wheezy and a bunch of these guys, but a guy named Jimmy Yeary, who's a songwriter. And he's the songwriter. In fact, you you would love having him on your show sometime. But uh, Jimmy is the guy who wrote Song of the Year, CMA, and ACM. He wrote I Drive Your Truck. He wrote uh, the last Tim McGraw number one. I Called Mama. Wow. Did Kenny Chesney's last two number ones. And so wow. I've written a few songs with Jimmy, and it's kind of like doing a podcast. It's like, hey, you mean we can like finish this in like half a day? But if you're going to write a book, oh, my gosh, it's like, it just takes a long time. Do you and find that? Do you find that it's more impactful though, or do you find that you're more impactful with a podcast? I think the book is longer lasting. And if you, you know, when you do a book, if you can do a book in a way that uh, you don't date it, right? I mean, right. I so I like when I wrote the Traveler's Gift and the noticer and, and really all the books that I do, I, I make sure that I don't have uh, modern cultural references, you know, because you know how you, you read a book that was a big deal. And then, you know, several years later you go, Oh, Britney Spears. Right. that? And so I want, I want what I write to be just as good 50 years from now as it is now. But I always write for somebody. And so I, I think that it's longer lasting. You know, when I, the, there's, there's a book that, uh, you know, I included a story about Fairway Inn and, and it's because I do all kinds. And this was a nonfiction book, but it's, uh, it's a business book. And in a way, I mean, or at least Forbes uh, said it was, you know, they, they said it was like one of the seven books that everybody in business must read or something like that. But they, right. uh, but but the, the book is called Bottom of the Pool. Well, I wrote that book for my boys. I have a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old. And, and so here in the past, I don't know, five or six years, I, I've had, you know, a pretty good amount of success helping people accomplish things. And, and it is, uh, you know, I'm kind of a disruptive strategist, I, I suppose. And so some of the things that we do, they're not obvious, all right? And so I had the thought one day, Man, you know, because my my dad died when I was 19. And so I think, man, if I all of a sudden croak, you know, I think I'll probably have what my dad had. People have come up to me all my life and told me what a difference my dad made in their life. And so I'm thinking, trying to imagine, I think, well, you know, people might come up and say, boy, your dad really helped our company or your dad really helped our team. And and I I thought they're not going to have any clue how I did it. Hmm. And so I need to write, I need to kind of document how I coach and what I think and what I do and how I help people. And so that book, Bottom of the Pool, was really written for my boys for years from now because they're not really old enough to, or I, I, they are old enough to get it, but they're not old enough to be interested in it, right? That, make, that makes a ton of sense. As a father myself, look, my son's three, I have a daughter's four months. And um, I, I, I really, I really hear that um, because look, I, my parents split up when I was very young and, you know, I have a different, you know, childhood than they're going to have. But when you, when you say, look, your, your father passed away at 19, I have to imagine that, that, you know, you, you grow up right there. Like that's a time in your life where, 
you know, the old you's over and you're, you're, you have to, you know, you have to fend for yeah. yourself. Would you? It was my uh, mom I, and my dad it, it, my it, within a year of each other. Yeah. My goodness. So is that, I mean, I have to imagine that's why you, why you did it just so that they didn't, you know, grow up and not be able to really access their father's wisdom. Yeah. Because I, I was lost for a, a long time, you know, I, you know, cause I, I, you know, when both of them died in the same year, my mom died of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident and that mm-hmm. I've always had the ability to take a bad situation and make it worse. And I did. I, and so, you know, I didn't really know what to do. And, I, and a lot of my decisions, especially financially, were very stupid. And and I just I didn't know. I, and so that's but that's where. Jones, yeah, that's where the noticer kind of came into my life there when I because I was living under a pier for a while. Wow, so wow, um, it's that's I mean, that's just incredible because I mean, that's I'm sure that you learned a lot at that time. I'm sure at the time of your life that you wouldn't really like, I don't know, you you wouldn't unlive it, but uh, but it was necessary so that you could, yeah, and you want to, yeah, it's, it's an odd thing because I would not choose it in a million years. Right. But now I wouldn't trade it for anything because if it had not been for that time, you know, you and I probably wouldn't be talking. Right. Uh, to pivot off this, uh, pivot away from it, actually, uh, talk about your morning routine. Now, this is something I'm always really interested with uh, just different people, walks of life. What's your first hour like? Uh, walk me through it step by step. My first hour is uh, in the dark. <laughs> I, I get up early. Um, I, I have, I have learned, I, I usually, I get up at five usually. Okay. Now, okay. If, if I'm writing, that might be earlier. You know, if I'm writing, I might get up at four. Um, and, and I, I really, I really believe I get a ton of stuff done then. Uh, that's when I, you know, that's when I, I, I before I do anything, I, I read my devotion stuff and, and I spend some time being quiet, my eyes closed, talking to God, hope he says something to me. And, and I, I, I really kind of set my course for the day. I, you know, and I learned that, I mean, you know, I I know you could kind of, I guess, happen on that, but I do that intentionally. I started doing it intentionally because, uh, one of my two biggest heroes in history in life is George Washington Carver. And um, Carver would get up very early. I mean, his own words, he said he would get up before the birds were awake and he would go outside and get his marching orders for the day. And, and so, you know, it was, if you look at the life of George Washington Carver it is, it still baffles me how anybody could accomplish that much in one lifetime. I, I, I don't even get it. But, um, you know, interviews with people who worked with him, a few of whom are still alive, um, have, have revealed his processes. And, and it was always in the morning. And, and when he got started, he was very effective. And so I feel like now, granted, I, I am less effective <clears throat> in the late afternoon. I, 
I'm just like, I'm kind of wiped out. And I think everybody I mean, I is. You have to react to the day at that point, you know, and you have to, yeah. you know, that, that's when you're handling all your stuff. But if you're going to live a life on purpose, you should probably do it in the morning. And it's a really funny thing that uh, as I've asked this question to a lot of top producers, a lot of people that are at, you know, upper ends of, of, of any industry, they all wake up really early. Some people at 3 a.m. even. And it's kind of like, like I yelled at someone. I was like, 3 a.m.? How does it, you know, but. Well, in your case, them. in your case, Jimmy, you got little kids. And right. so to be able to get up early and be able to think before those little feet start pounding on the floor. Right. 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 It, right. And not be distracted and, you know, have a conversation with your wife that's interrupted 10 times, you know, type of a thing. Absolutely. Um, you you got to. When, when my boys were little, we had a, a babysitter. We came back one night, Polly and I had been out somewhere and the babysitter was laughing. She said, I got to tell you something. And the boys were like seven and five, you know? And uh, we said, what's up? She said, well, I came prepared and I, we were going to do a book tonight. We're going to like color and make, make a book. And Austin told her, he said, I know how to make a book already. And she said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I know how to do one. And she said, what do you do? He said, well, what you do is you uh, get a cup of coffee or some Mountain Dew and you tell everybody to be real quiet. Then you go downstairs for a while. Then you come back up and get some more coffee and Mountain Dew and tell everybody to stop stomping on the floor and be quiet. And then you go back downstairs. Then you come up and get some coffee and you kind of do that several times. And that's how you do a book. <laughs> that's pretty much me. I can't. I mean, my goodness. And it's so funny that your little boy is telling you that um, and telling the babysitter that uh, to, to uh, go on to uh I guess, predicting the future. Uh, what are some long-term market trends that you're keeping an eye on, uh, really particularly in the next 10 years? Uh, how do you see you know, life 10 years from now? What are, you, what are you paying attention to? Well, I don't think we're going to have flying cars. I, you know, I just, I got to <laughs> say that. Hey, you know, hey, there was a time we all thought we would have one by now, but I don't think we're going to have flying cars. Uh, I mean, heck, they won't even let us fly our drones where we want to now. And so I, I think that's out. But I, I do think there will be uh, more of a thirst for uh, wisdom, a, a more of an understanding of the value of wisdom. Uh, I think that, you know, if you look at just societal evolution, I think there's a pendulum swing that, um, that turns, uh, you know, it goes back and forth over the, the decades. And, hmm. and I think that people are starting right now, uh, some of them to look at their families and not really be happy about what they're seeing. I think uh, there's a lot of people that are, that are looking at society and not liking what they're seeing. And so I think that some people, I, I think that there is a place for somebody to step in and provide the right kind of leadership. I think we have a leadership void in our country. And, um, and when I say that, I say that uh, meaning not that we don't have somebody who steps forward to lead. Uh, we always do. Okay. Right. But I think we have a lack of an understanding of what real leadership is because uh, le leadership, you know, the essence of leadership is influence. That's the essence of it. And the essence of influence is agreement, not disagreement. 
right? I mean, you, you know, you don't follow somebody that you disagree with. You just don't. And so somewhere along the line, somebody has to start bringing together some things that we agree on. And, and a lot of people would say, well, you know, there's nothing we agree on anymore. I, I, I disagree. I think that, um, you know, one of the basic things, whether somebody is a, uh, a Christian or an atheist, no matter what color they are, no matter what age they are, I, you know, the, if you ask them, do you want the best for your children? I think they'd say, yes, I do. Okay, so then, then the quest becomes, okay, what is the best? Now, if we have an honest search for the best, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, I'm not talking about what you think the best is or what I think the best might be. I, I'm talking about the best, because if right. we have an honest search for that, the best is one thing. There can be different categories, but we're not talking about, you know, the best of the decade or the best, uh, you know, top 10 best. We're talking about the best. It's like the truth. And so to right. find the best, we got to find the truth. Mm-hmm. And if we really want the best for our children, not just what we want, then there's got to be some agreement somewhere there. And I think we can also agree that society, I think everybody agrees that society is not what it once was. Right. And fortunately, we can point to a time uh, in our nation's history when human beings, at least, were the best they had. They, they were the best we ever got, okay? I mean, if you, you can look back at a time at a generation that sacrificed more, they gave more, they uh, created more. I mean, we even have a name for them. We call them the greatest generation. But I think that even that particular moniker is, is given to the wrong group of people. Because if you start really examining, how did these people turn out like this? Mm-hmm. then a lot of it would have to do with their parents and their teachers and the adults in their community. Right. right. And so maybe they were the greatest generation because how did the, what did these people do? What did they require? What did they disallow that created that we can look back 70 or 80 years and say, this is the best we ever were. what did they do? I mean, that's beautiful. And does, it, the beautiful thing about that, too, is that it doesn't have to be political. Like, the, it doesn't have to be anything to do with that. It's really, it just comes down to really, I think it comes down to respect in a lot of right. ways. And it comes down to being a father, too, you know, because, you know, you, you're writing this book for your kids, you know, to, to teach them, to give them wisdom. And too many fathers give up on that, I think, or think it's too hard. And, you know, they just, they run away from the responsibility. And they wonder why they have no respect. And that's... Uh, and, and, that's just a beautiful thing. Uh, I, and look, I want to be super respectful of your time. Uh, Buddy, you, you, you keep going. I'm fine. All right. All right so, sounds good. Well, I, I have a few questions that I ask everybody. And, uh, okay. and I, really, I really want to I really want to get these out. So uh, first one is, have you ever had a big break? No, it's uh, everything I've done has been very incremental. And in fact, for a long time, uh, I, I mean, I kind of tagged this I, when I realized this, every big thing that I was ever able to do for the first time, I had been turned down for before I got 
before somebody said yes, every time. I mean, even my, the book that I wrote that has sold millions of copies, The Traveler's Gift, it was turned down by 51 publishers before anybody ever took it. Wow. And it's a book that everybody needs to read before they, like, that's incredible. That's, uh, that, that's awesome. I'll, to set this up, well, actually here, I'll, I'm just going to go straight for the, for the question. So if you were to do it all over again, what would you change? I would, I would, uh, I would ask certain questions of myself earlier. You know, at, at this point in my life, I really understand, I don't know who said this, but I really understand that quote, youth is wasted on the young. Mm. Um, and and I, I think I would ask myself certain questions earlier. One of those questions would be, what is it about you, Andy, that other people would change if they could? Mm. Um, you know, it was Jones, it was the original noticer that said, hey, you need to start asking yourself this. And, you know, so I, I, I started, I go, well, what is it about you, Andy, that other people would change if they could? And sometimes I would get answers and I go, yeah, I, I don't want to change that. I'm fine with that. But then I'd realize, well, that wasn't the question. Hmm. The question was, what would other people change? And it's not that you live your life according to other people's rules or anything. It's just a matter of if, if you want to have influence in somebody's life, it really helps if they like you a little bit. <laughs> right. And so, so it, it's, it's a, a question that I used to change a lot of things about myself that didn't matter. And it's one of the things that I've, I've really tried diligently to teach my boys. I, you know, parenting, you know, we were never trying to raise great kids. We wanted to raise kids who became great adults. Hmm. That's two different pathways. We all know people who are great kids. They were great kids and then something happened. Okay. And so one of the things that I wanted my boys to understand that if you're going to do something, if you're going to wear a certain thing, if you're going to act a certain way, um, it's not that everybody has to agree with it, but have a reason, you know, think, think about it. Okay. And because there are, yeah, I mean, there are things that, that you see people do and you already know, you already know that there is a, an, 25% of the population, and they don't like that. Now, right. I'm not saying they're right. right. It's not, not a sin. It's not right or wrong. I'm just saying there's 25% of the population. They don't like it. Okay, so, well, if, if you don't have to do it, if there's not a reason for it, and you feel comfortable going out in the world with only 75% of the people uh, on your side, and competing with people who 100% of the people are on their side. I mean, if you if you if it's that important to you to act that way or wear that or whatever, um, you know, go for it. But if you can't figure out a reason, and there's a ton of people that you know, whatever it is, just have a reason. Think so your way through some life. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just I really love that as a parent myself. I just like it, it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult goal to have. It's not a difficult goal. It's just it's it's hard to execute and you know, you want the best for your kid, 
but that has, but you want them to be a great adult. I think that's a really great information for anybody to, to listen to. That's the goal. It's not for them to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever your dream is for them. It's more so you want them to be a kind, genuine, good person. Right. Was there ever a time, Andy, you thought about giving up? Sure. Sure. I mean, there are times. I mean, I think if anybody ever tells you that there, there's not a time that they've thought about giving up, I think they're lying. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, I don't believe other things they say too. Because <laughs> I think, you know, discouragement uh, and doubt, it can be part of the human condition. But as we learn how to deal with that, you know, as, as and, and that's what, you know, you asked a minute ago, what would I change? You know, and I think some of those questions, I think the quality of our answers in life is determined by the quality of our questions. And that includes the questions we ask ourselves, you know, the things we say to ourselves. And so if you want good answers, come up with good questions. If you're not getting the answer you want, change the question. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I really, I really believe that, you know, for a long time after my parents uh, passed away, you know, I, I was, I had lived in fear, you know, I, and not necessarily physical fear all the time, even though there was some of that, you know, you living outside on the beach and, but I, I, I was fearful about my future. I was fearful about next week. I was fearful about what was going to happen. And I, and I would hear all the things that people would say, you know, fear, you know, FEA or false expectation, fearing real, just all these things. But I had to dig into it myself to understand what fear was and come to a conclusion about it before I could ever deal with it effectively. And I came to the conclusion, Jimmy, that it is smarter people who are most affected by fear in their lives. And I think it's smarter people who are most affected by doubts. And the reason is because, I mean, you know, have you ever seen some people do something incredibly stupid and you think, I don't think they're afraid of anything. Okay. Well, they, they, they might not be that smart. Okay. They're just not afraid of anything. And, and, and yet smart people are, and it's because of what fear is. Fear is just nothing in the world, but a misuse of your creative imagination. And so the smarter you are, the more creative you are, the more likely you are to be imagining crazy things, you know, and, and you're figuring the angles. And, and so you, you know, it, it is a, it's a thinking process and it's something that we can direct. We can ask, direct our thinking. Right. And I have to ask this, what broke the chains for you? What broke, what, what brought you to the understanding? Well, on that particular thing, um, reading and thinking, you know, I, I get aggravated sometimes, uh, when, and occasionally I have dealt with somebody, I I've learned not to accept these kind of people as clients anymore, but occasionally I'll run across somebody and, and they kind of go, yeah, I just, you know, I just don't want to think that hard. Okay. You know, I, I don't know what to do with them. I mean, because if, if you're, if you're not, I mean, some people are not willing to work, but you're not willing to think 
through your own life and your own future and to gain some understanding and common sense. But there are a ton of people who just, yeah, I just don't want to think that hard. Okay. Well, because it was that process of, of digging in and, you know, it's never, especially to, especially fun to think through, but as a dad, one of the things that, you know, you and I are both dads. And one of the things that we have to get good at is explaining why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, because I said so, that didn't work on us and it doesn't work on them. Okay. You know, I mean, you, you might, my dad saying, as long as you're in my house, well, I mean, if the kid has half a brain, he's going to just be quiet, realize this guy's bigger than me. He has all the money and I'm not always going to be in his house. Okay. So, but, but that's not what you want. That's you're, right. you're not saying as long as you're in my house, you will not be jumping off cliffs. You know, you don't mean that because you don't mean this, but when you move away, you jump off all of them you want. I don't really care about you then. And that's not what you meant, you know? Right. And so we want to explain why you don't just, because we, we don't want him to jump off cliffs right now and we don't want him to jump off cliffs later. And I think the deeper thing is, is that you need to self-reflect and you need to really find out, look yourself in the mirror hard and actually make the change. And then, man, it's, it's so funny. Don't make me think, you know, I mean, that's how our culture is. But look, you got to think, you got to look inward and, and you got to make changes. And it's a fire answer. Uh, all right. My last question to, to set it up. Uh, you know, there's someone out there, Andy, that, you know, m- maybe they're, they, they suffered from, you know, loss of family. Um, you know, maybe they're writing a book. Maybe maybe this was the 50th time that their, their, that their book got rejected. What advice would you give to someone looking to get it done? Number one. You can be encouraged by knowing that whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is you're going through, um, you're not the only one in, in the boat or you're not the only one that has been in that boat. There are people, many people, who have taken that boat successfully from that stormy sea right up onto the shore. And so there is massive hope. And if you if you want to get it done, you're going to have to deal with your own thinking. You have to deal with your own mind because the biggest the biggest uh, obstacle to getting it done is not money, it's not time, it's not leadership, it's it's your own approach, it's your own thought process. It's 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 generally. You know, I, I finally, you know, I can I can get aggravated and blame somebody, but it's generally me, you know, and and so I I believe that hope is essential to getting something done. You know, it, you asked a little while ago, did I ever feel like quitting? Well, yeah, you know, it's just like you know, Polly and I've been married for thirty two years, and so wow. uh, do you ever feel like quitting? Yeah, I felt like quitting, and I'm sure she's felt like quitting. Thank God we just had never felt like that the same day. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you, you know, but you, you know, it's like Jones, you know, told a guy one time, I heard him say, you know, the guy said, Yeah, I got marital problems. And Jones says, Yeah, I knew that. And he said, How could you possibly know we had marital problems? And Jones said, Because you're married. 
you know, and when you're married, those are the kind of problems you have. All right. So it's like, you know, you're not in the, by yourself. But so there is huge hope. And there is even no matter where you are, you want to get it done. There is a proof of hope. Now, you're talking about thinking through something. I thought through this at one point and I realized that if you if you believe in a purpose for your life, OK, well, then it don't matter where you are. You can be in the worst time of your life. And number one, it's normal. Everybody has one. I mean, you look birth to death, you can examine every life that was ever lived and you can say, well, that was the worst time. Okay, this may be yours. I, you know, who knows? All right. But everybody has one. And number two, there is proof that, that there is, there's a proof of hope. There's proof that things would get better. And the proof exists in the fact that you sit there and breathe. Okay. Because if you're breathing, that means you're still here. If you're still here, that means you haven't accomplished what you were put here to accomplish. If you hadn't accomplished what you're put here to accomplish, that means your very purpose has not yet been fulfilled. If your very purpose hadn't been fulfilled, that means that the best part of your life, the most important part of your life, the coolest part of your life is still ahead of you. And so there, there is proof that there is more to experience. There's more to learn. There's more success to have. There's more laughter to enjoy, more children to help. There is more. It's proof of more because you're breathing, man. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's great. I love that. Um, Andy, I, I really want to thank you for, for joining us today. I really want to thank our audience also for joining us. And uh, if, Andy, if anybody wanted to reach out to you to connect, uh, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Yeah, just andyandrews.com. And in, in fact, I've got a, a VIP mailing list and we send out coupon codes once a week and they can get you know whatever books and all like that but we also kind of keep them up on what's going on but andyandrews.com just go there and take 30 seconds and put your email in i promise never to sell it or give it away and we'll love to keep in touch with you We'll put a we'll put a link to it in the uh, podcast description, and I follow on, awesome. you on social too. We'll put you, we'll put your uh, social links on there as well. And thank you. Uh, all right, uh, I, again, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, uh, you know, this has been quite an quite an epic interview. I've really enjoyed this. And you know, if you like what you heard today, and you want to support the show, you know, tell a friend, uh, write us a five star review. And you know, actually, I wanted to ask you this, Andy. Could you ask in a leprechaun voice because you are the most epic leprechaun voice? person that I know and look like I mean maybe maybe something about a pot of gold or something but like basically can you promise them something at the end of the rainbow if they write us a five-star review in a leprechaun voice yeah don't be after me lucky charms they're magically delicious but we'd like you to to go on and give a five-star review and maybe there's a pot of gold for you You heard it straight from Andy Andrews here. Uh, you know, write us a five-star review, subscribe. That'd be awesome. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Once again, I am Jimmy Ryan. This has been the Get It Done Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.